Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. When sons follow in their dad's footsteps, it's usually a source of fatherly pride. But that wasn't the case for King David and his son Absalom. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals how the king saw his favorite son carry out the same sin that he himself had committed, with tragic consequences. Listen now as Dr. Jeremiah introduces today's powerful message, David and Absalom. You know... You have to say that David's family was messed up, and his situation turned out not so good. And the story of David and Absalom is really a sad one. It is You can hear David crying out from his heart, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, Absalom. And he reminds us of parental pain and what it's like. Anybody who's ever had that will tell you there's nothing like it. There's no way you can ever get to it. You don't even know where it exists. But down deep in your soul, there is a pain that hurts like nothing you can imagine. And that's what David was going through and will be going through in these lessons coming up uh, today and tomorrow. This is part one of David and Absalom from Second Samuel chapters 13 through 18. And before we get there, let me just remind you that uh, in... October of this fall, we're going to be hosting a two-day event in Charleston, South Carolina. I'll be presenting messages there about the rapture from a book that will be released just a few days before the event. And we'll be coming live from North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina, presenting a live arena event experience surrounding the event in the future that will hit the headlines as no other story ever has, and that is the rapture. Two incredible days of inspirational teaching and music and motivation. And uh, you can find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org. And uh, you can find out about tickets and special guests and all the rest. Once again, that's October the 6th and 7th in Charleston, South Carolina. Here is part one of David and Absalom. We are going to look together beginning at the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel at the next episode in David's life. And uh, today we're going to cover an awful lot of material in a very short period of time. So I hope you can follow quickly as we move through this next episode in the life of David, which we have entitled David and Absalom, David and his son. All of the events of these next few chapters revolve around David's relationship with his third oldest son, Absalom. Now it is quite evident that David is a man after God's heart. We have seen that over and over again in our study. He was a man who dearly loved his God. And even though he failed God, he never stopped loving God. And down underneath his failure was a heart that still reached out after the Creator and wanted to serve God. 
But David not only was a man after God's heart, he was a man who had a heart for people and especially for the people in his family. Throughout our study today, we're going to see little vignettes of David's love for his family. An unconditional love that was tested at almost every level. David illustrates for us the vulnerability that comes when we involve ourselves with people. It was C.S. Lewis who once wrote, To love at all is to be vulnerable, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven, said C.S. Lewis, where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is in hell. End of quote. David is going to illustrate for us as we see him today that when you love someone, you are putting yourself at risk to that person. And the sad thing about David's love for his family is that much of the risk that he is going to face in the days before him as we explore these chapters is risk that was brought about by his own conduct. In the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel, when David was confronted for his sin, he was reminded in the 14th verse that because he had done what he did, he had given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And then the Lord said to David, because you have allowed that to happen, the child that is going to be born to Bathsheba will die. Now the reason behind the death of the child was that which David had done to cause the enemies of God to make fun of God. Earlier in the text, in the 11th verse, David had been told by the Lord that he would raise up evil against David out of his own house. God said to David, you're going to have trouble in your family. You're going to have trouble at home. You have reached out in your greed to take away the home of another, and you are going to have stress and strife in your own home. I've wondered often how David must have waited if he really believed that word of prophecy, wondering which child it would touch next. It didn't take long for God's prophecy to be fulfilled because within a short time, the child that had been born to Bathsheba as the result of David's initial sin died. And as you remember our discussion of that, David wept and mourned for seven days and he fasted that God might spare the life of that child, which in itself is a vignette of David's fatherly love. He loved that little child so much that he begged God for seven days to spare the child's life. But as you know the story, the baby died. And two years later, the second installment on David's investment in sin was about to be reaped. The story is recorded for us in the 13th chapter of the book of 2 Samuel. And to say that it's a sordid ordeal is not to say enough about it. 
In order to understand it, we must understand something about David's family. As I mentioned to you in an earlier message, David married many wives. He was the husband of many wives and he had many concubines. I am often asked by people, Pastor Jeremiah, how do you explain the apparent approval of polygamy in the Old Testament? Well, I don't explain it because there is no approval of it. In fact, if you study it carefully, you will discover that every time polygamy appears on the pages of the Old Testament, it always appears in the context of sadness and sin and destruction and division and pain and agony and sorrow. It is no accident that God has put together the one man for one woman procedures for modern marriage. And in David's family, you can see immediately the problems that grew up with his blended family. To one of his wives was born his first son, a boy by the name of Amnon. To a wife that he had married from Geshur, a foreign and pagan country, was born two children, a daughter and a son. The daughter's name was Tamar and the son's name was Absalom. I do not know how David managed to keep all things equal in his family with all of these wives and all of their children, but I can promise you there was stress and strife all the time. And one of the things that transpired is recorded for us in the first verses of chapter 13. Amnon, who was David's first son and the heir to the throne when David was finished, fell in love with Tamar, who was his half-sister. He fell in love with her, I presume, although the language of the scripture leads us to believe that it was more lust than love. And the Bible records in the 13th chapter concerning this woman that she was fair. She was a fair sister, it says, in chapter 13 and verse 1. Now that's not the language that we use today when we see a beautiful girl. We don't say, wow, look, there goes a fair sister. We say, there goes a beautiful girl. But in that day, we are told she was a fair sister. She was beautiful. Now, it ran in the family. Her brother was, if I can use the term, beautiful as well. Turn over to chapter 14 and let's get a brief look at her brother Absalom before we go any further. In verses 25 and 26, we read about him. Remember now, Tamar and Absalom are from the union of David and a woman by the name of Makah, and they are both very handsome people. And in all Israel, says verse 25, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. He was a perfect specimen of humanity. Now get this. And when he polled his head, for it was at every year's end that he polled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he polled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. He had a head of hair that when he polled it, or took it off at the end of the year, when he was barbered, his hair weighed six and two-thirds pounds. That is a bunch of hair for a man. So you have Absalom and Tamar in one family. You have Amnon in another family. Both have the same father, but they have different mothers. And Amnon decides that he wants Tamar and he wants her now. 
almost exactly as if David had wanted Bathsheba and he wanted her now. And Amnon didn't know how to go about it exactly, so he talked to David's nephew. And they had a council together. And the nephew said, what you need to do, Amnon, is to act like you're sick. Feign illness. And when your father, King David, comes to see you, tell him that what you would like to have more than anything else, what would cheer you up more than anything else, is if your sister Tamar could come and minister to you and feed you and give you your soup and your medicine and all the rest. Well, David again has a father's heart. And when his son is sick and his son asks for something, David said, it's yours. I'll do it. And he went back and he told Tamar to go and minister to Amnon. Now, there's reason to believe that Tamar already knew she was headed for trouble because Amnon apparently had a reputation. And when Tamar came into Amnon's house, Amnon invited her into his bedchamber and then asked all of the men to leave. And uh, just to put it as candidly as I can and discreetly at the same time, Amnon raped her. The Bible uses the term forced her. It is the biblical term for rape. Well, the scripture describes the fact that when the rape was over, interestingly enough, the Bible says Amnon hated her. Often is the case when an illicit relationship takes place that it is fostered upon love and it produces hate. And she was banished from his house. And the Bible even says that Amnon bolted the door. Didn't want anything more to do with her. And uh, she went to live with her brother, Absalom. And when she got into Absalom's house... The reason I believe that Amnon had a reputation is Absalom figured out what had happened without asking any questions. The scripture tells us in the 21st verse of the 13th chapter that when David heard about this, he was very wroth. But in verse 22, we're told that when Absalom heard about it, he spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. There are two thoughts that come to mind here that we need to stop and, and just mention. And number one is David should have been more than angry, shouldn't he? For his son to have done that. To someone within his own house, David should have moved in swiftly and he should have punished Amnon. And had he punished Amnon, he would have saved his life. But David was immobilized by his own sin. He could not bring himself to confront his son on an issue that was simply the reproduction of what he himself had already done. And so paralyzed as a parent by his own infidelity, he allowed the matter to pass by. And Tamar lived in the house of Absalom and Absalom her brother never mentioned to her what he had in mind but he began that very moment to plot and to plan how he would get even with Amnon for the rape of his sister and the scripture records in chapter 13 and verse 23 that it came to pass after two full years two years went by and during that two-year period of time though Absalom talked not about it he was constantly planning and contriving. His anger had now become bitterness and he had only one thought in mind, revenge for his sister. And the plan that he came up with to avenge his sister was like this. 
Each year, Absalom was in charge of the shearing of the sheep, which was a festive occasion in Israel. And they would gather all of their people together, and as they sheared the sheep, it was a time of great excitement and a time of great benefit financially. And so Absalom decided that he would entrap Amnon by inviting the king, King David, and all of his sons to attend that festive occasion. Now, I believe that Absalom invited David knowing that David would not come. In fact, twice to make it look good, he came back to his father and said, come on, dad, why don't you come too? And David said, no, he said, I won't be chargeable to you. You got enough to worry about Absalom. I'm not going to be able to make it. And so Absalom said, well, then let Amnon come. Let him come to the party. And David asked him, strangely enough, why do you want Amnon to come? No, this is down in verses 26 and 27. It says, and Absalom said, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, why should he go with you? And Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. Now the two-year plot based upon his anger and revenge over what Amnon had done to his sister Tamar has taken place. So the first major thing that happens in Absalom's life is the revenge of Absalom. Now someone has noticed, I believe it's A.W. Pink in his book on the life of David, that there are many, many comparisons between David's deed and Absalom's deed. They are too noticeable for us to forget. First of all, as David murdered Uriah, and it was premeditated. Absalom murdered Amnon, and he planned it for two years. Secondly, as Uriah was slain as a means to get at Bathsheba, Amnon was slain as the firstborn son of David so that Absalom could ultimately ascend the throne and take it away from David. What Absalom wanted in all of this was not just the revenge for his sister, but he wanted Amnon out of the way because Amnon stood between Absalom and the throne. He was the firstborn, Absalom was the thirdborn. Thirdly, as David did not slay Uriah by his own hand, but he got Joab involved in it and made Joab send Uriah to the front line so that he would be killed. If you'll read the story here carefully, you'll discover that Absalom didn't kill Amnon, but he had his servants do it for him. And fourthly, as David made Uriah drunk before his death, you will discover as you read here in the 13th chapter that Amnon was struck down while his heart was merry from the wine. It's almost uncanny how Absalom just, in a sense, repeated the crime of David in a different time and in a different setting. And when the word got back to David that Amnon was dead, we read in verse 38, So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years, and the soul of David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Now some people have said that this is an evidence that David had an untoward weakness toward his son Absalom. 
that he condoned his evil and that he was too lenient with him. And there may be a case that we could make for that. But whatever else you want to say about David as a father, you cannot help but notice over and over again his unconditional love for a wayward son. Absalom has taken the life of David's firstborn. And yet after David recovered in his grief for Amnon, the Bible says his heart still longed after Absalom. And though Absalom had gone away, in fact, the story tells us that he went to live with his mother-in-law and he stayed there for a period of time. And for two years, or for a period of time there in his mother-in-law's house, there was no word from home. There was no connection between David and Absalom. And while Absalom seemed to have no concern about his father, David could not forget Absalom. He continually mourned over his son who was separated from him. And through the intervention of Joab and some other people, a very intricate plot was weaved together so that in the 14th chapter, we see the reconciliation of Absalom. Now I want you to go down with me to the 23rd verse of chapter 14 and notice that Joab arose and he went to Geshur where Absalom's mother-in-law lived and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. So they're going to be reconciled now. And the king said, let him turn to his own house. That's David speaking. And let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and he saw not the king's face. Now let me show you what's going on here. When Amnon raped Tamar, David should have intervened and punished his son. And he didn't. When Absalom killed Amnon, David should have intervened and done something to punish Absalom. And he didn't. Now, after this period of time of separation, David is coaxed into bringing Absalom back together. He yearns for his son. He wants his fellowship. And he knows that he ought to do something to punish him for his sin. But he's paralyzed again because of his own conduct. And so as a halfway attempt at punishing Absalom, he brings him back to Jerusalem and he won't talk to him for two years. They pass in the same city and they never communicate. Their faces never meet. And I would say to you that David would have been better off to have left Absalom in Geshur. Because during that two-year period of time, if I read the story correctly, there developed a growing spirit of rebellion in Absalom's heart that was already there in seed form. And during that period of time, Absalom got more and more rebellious against his father. And he dreamed up a plan to literally steal the kingdom away from his dad. It's hard to believe, but it's true. And we read about his revolt or his rebellion in the 15th chapter. The 15th chapter tells us that Absalom decided that he wanted more than anything else to be king. Why shouldn't he be king? David was getting older. Absalom was a charismatic figure, handsome to look at, and apparently he was able uh, in many respects to draw people after him in the same way that David had done in his younger years. You see what happened? Absalom has moved into the vacuum created by David's family problems and his growing age and his frailty and, his, and all of the things that are going on in the kingdom. Absalom moved into the vacuum created in David's kingdom and he began to ingratiate himself to the people. They would come to see David and he'd say, listen, David really doesn't care about you. He's too busy with everything else. You know, if he cared about you, he would be here now. Listen, 
I'll hear what you have to say, and I care. I'll tell you something. If I were the king, it would be different around here. You think that didn't happen? It's what happened, and it happens all the time. I've read many stories about families that have been torn apart like that, where a member of the family, a sister, a brother, uh, even a husband or a wife, undercut the leadership of the one who's in charge and literally tear the kingdom apart. And that's what Absalom was doing. And of course, this is not the end of the story. So you don't want to give up on it all right here. God has a way of dealing with this. And he dealt with Absalom and he did so in a pretty harsh way. We'll find out more about that tomorrow uh, in part two of David and Absalom. On Thursday and Friday of this week, we're going to talk about counting noses. What happened when David numbered his people? Oh, my goodness, we have so many things we can learn from this man, and we learn about as much from his failures as from his successes. David wasn't perfect, that's for sure. But the Bible says he was a man after God's heart, and that settles a lot of issues for all of us. I hope you have um, been following along, and if you haven't gotten the study guides and the CD package for this series, there's time to do it. Don't forget also, we're, we're headed to Israel in 2024. And um, the dates of the 12th through the 22nd of March, tremendous opportunity for you to see the Holy Land. I hope you'll come with us. Find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org slash events. And be sure to be with us tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. The great reformer Martin Luther is credited with a story about two mountain goats who met going in opposite directions on a cliffside path only wide enough for one goat. A misstep would have sent one or both plummeting into the valley below. 
So instead of butting heads, one of the goats lay down and let the other walk over him, and they both went safely on their way. The idea of letting someone walk over us seems out of the question to most people. But didn't Jesus eventually yield the right of way to others instead of exerting his own power over them? Well, this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God blesses humility on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.